So Joshua 4, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan River were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up the twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and they laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood and they are there to this day for the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua the people passed over in haste and when all the people had finished passing over the river the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over the Lord before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord had said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do those stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea 
which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. You may fear the Lord your God forever. Also read with me chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. This is God's word. Pray with me if you would as we begin to talk about it. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to continue reading about Joshua and Generation Next. Pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. And Father, even more so that your word would produce fruit and lead to action in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. As much as I am still a dinosaur uh, and keeping up with the kids... You know, the youths of the world with their uh, iPhone 5s and their Instagrams. Uh, i got to say, one of the great things about smartphones is taking photos to remind you of stuff. Of my last ten photos, half of them are things like uh, our community group uh, snack list to sign up for who's going to bring snacks every week. All right, that's one of them. Uh, my wife's teaching schedule. All right, a photo of that, and uh, actually, my main points for this morning's sermon. All right, all all encompass my uh, photo reel here on my iPhone, and this helps because my previous method of remembering things include finding something in my wallet to scribble on, writing on my hand, someone's phone number, uh, begging for someone to email me, to remind me. Or, of course, my favorite method, which is just not remembering. <laughs> All right, and so those are, those are my favorites. But recording a video, right, or taking just a quick picture, just a great way for those of us with below average ability to remember, to actually remember important stuff. Earlier this year, one of my, uh, I was listening to one of my favorite persons, cultural guru and Christian thinker, it's a man named Oz Guinness. He had this remarkably insightful comment. He was talking about the realities of globalization, right? The internet, how you can know all these different societies, know more information, and access it at any time that you want. And because of that, he said, no society has had to forget as much as ours. No, no culture, no society, no generation especially has had to forget as much as ours. And it's so true, isn't it, that Our brain capacity is only so great. It's not as if it's really improved drastically from 100, 200, 500, 1,000, 2,000 years ago. As much as we like to think we're smarter just because we have a better technology, the reality is the brain capacity is pretty similar. It's just that there is more to take in with quicker access to it. And so once our brain reaches capacity, we must forget certain ideas, certain information in order to let other ideas and information in. Which means Joshua chapter 4 contains some highly useful and really a very relevant strategy for a generation of information saturation. Right? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because God has called Joshua 
and generation next to inherit this fertile land. I'm going to do a little recap here. He's called them to inherit this fertile land which borders the Mediterranean Sea from the east. And to prepare them, he coaches up their leader. He picks up a, uh, kind of picks up a hitchhiker along the way. He confirms to his people that they are following the right leader into this promised land by parting these raging waters that are a mile wide and at least 10 feet, 12 feet deep. It is the only way they can get across without waiting for four to six months and hoping for a drought. So God does it. Mission accomplished, right? Parts these waters and as people walk across on dry ground. 40,000 people pass through safely through an otherwise inevitable death trap. That's what we looked at last week. But lest they let the memory of this moment slip away, God has his people take photographs. But of course, cameras had not yet been invented. And, you know, painting a still life would take too long. Right? This, these are nomadic people. They move fast. God uses and points to some, something that would remind them of a river. And, of course, are giant stones. They haul away these stones to record Keep on record his gracious and mighty works. So read with me here in verses 1 through 3 where we see that. All the nation passes over the Jordan. And God says to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. So God's people were divided into 12 tribes, 12 kind of many people groups. It made them easier to lead. You can imagine the administration of one person was trying to lead this horde of tens of thousands. So they... God wisely broke them up into smaller divisions of peoples. And he wanted to give them each a stone to remember this act by. So he says, take 12 stones from out of the midst of the Jordan River, from the place where the priest's feet stood firmly. That's where they stood. First stood when the waters were parted and they piled up onto this heap that all the people would be able to see. So they took stones from there like a memento and Bring them, over them, uh, bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And of course, it says later in verse 7 that when they passed over the Jordan, the waters were cut off, so these stones shall be to these people of Israel a memorial forever. Now God asked his people to make remembering a habit. God asked his people to make remembering a regular sort of discipline in their life because people forget. Got any uh, Zachs here this morning? Any Zacharies or Zachs? No? Oh, oh my gosh, not one Zachary? That's a shame. Well, if you know a Zachary, you know they're very memorable kind of people. I mean, uh, off the top of my head, uh, Zach Morris. Um, I just know Zach who? Zach Brown. I don't know who that is. (laughs) Appreciate that. Zach's a very memorable name, and it should be because (laughs) that name comes from the Hebrew word zakar, which means to remember. So they're meant to be memorable, and this word occurs 227 times in the Old Testament. 
Throughout the Old Testament, we see altars that are built by patriarchs. We see battle sites that are given new names by kings. We see feasts that are announced and celebrated. And we see memorial stones that are erected by God's leaders, all in the name of Zacharing, remembering what has happened. So we see throughout the Old Testament, remember, 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 whether it's in the uh, Pentateuch and the Deuteronomy, all the way through the Psalms, remember, remember, remember what God has done. And what exactly is God calling his people to remember? Grace. Remember his grace. And I want to say just specifically, not necessarily love, but grace. And the reason I'm being specific about that is grace in the Bible is this idea of God's love made active through an undeserved gift. And I love to talk about grace. It's God's love. He loves us passionately and deeply without reserve. And he wants to make that love known in people's lives. So he makes love active. He puts it into action with an undeserved gift. Something we don't deserve, we don't earn. That love doesn't stay up in heaven like some divine hallmark card filled with sentimental love sayings. which a lot of people think of God that way. But it breaks into human history, and not just once, but over and over and over again into people's lives. So you might say that it's like a Hallmark card with a $20 bill inserted into it, right? (laughs) It's nice to have the words, but then to have the the gift, right? You know this as a kid. You open up that card. You're like, no, nice words. Where's the $20? This is something I can actually use and put into action. Similarly, God doesn't just love us. He gives us a gift that can make a difference in our lives. And grace is shown ultimately, most demonstrably, through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. A gift that reconciled his enemies to himself, which the Bible describes as our saving grace, and which we pointed out last week is the sign, the most important sign that God calls his church leaders to point to the cross. This is the sign that God is in charge and that he loves you. And so we are called to take note of God's grace. Take a picture. But to really remember years from now, to really recall what God has done for us, and this is the second big point this morning, We've got to also make albums of grace. We take little photos, we've got to make albums of grace. In the Old Testament, like I said, they built altars, they renamed battle sites, they celebrated feasts, they erected memorial stones. What do we do to make sure we remember grace? Let me give you four practical take-home suggestions this morning for how we can record grace. Number one, where there is a Bible, let there be a bick. All right, whenever a Bible is cracked open, taught from, discussed, you ought to have with you a pen and some paper, all right, to jot down some notes, not to mention making some connection from the Bible to your life. There are all kinds of opportunities to do this in the Bible, so keep a pen, all right, because you never know. You never know where you're going to encounter God's Word. Someone may just speak it to you on the streets or in a conversation through an email. Take Note, studies show that the average person retains close to 40% more of information when they take notes. I was reading, well, I wasn't reading. This other journal pointed out from a neurological journal, but, so I got it secondhand. 
I don't read neurological journals in my spare time. All right, that's my confession. All right, but take note. And this is, by the way, not some, I, some ego trip for me personally. Like this morning, you should be taking notes, although you should. All right, but this is not some ego trip for me. It could be Larry King le- reading Leviticus for all I care. Or Christina Aguilera singing Habakkuk. All right, if, if they're going through God's Word in some way, shape, or form, have a pen and paper with you. You never know what you'll pick up. It's God speaking. But it's refreshing. It's refreshing to hear when people, like recently I heard of two different people the past couple weeks who are just insistent about note-taking. One of whom I heard was starting to compile all her sermon notes from the past into one spot so she could actually review them. Get a system together so I can look over what God has spoken to me in the past and how I make connections with that in my own life. Now, that's pretty cool. All right, so that's number one. Where there's a Bible, let there be a Bic. Number two, determine one place to store your spiritual stones. One place to store your spiritual stones. Now, most people to do this use what we like to call a journal, which many of us have made fun of in our lives, journals and diaries and this sort of thing. Uh, Some of us love semi-religiously our journal or diary. You had one with a little locket when you grew up and all those sorts of things. Whatever. Uh, it doesn't have to be this sort of, you know, it doesn't have to look like this, you know, with this little gold, you know, gold embossing and nice little, you know, lined paper and this sort of thing. I, I don't care. This morning, I was just looking around my house. You could use uh, this thing. for like, uh, This could work as a journal. I don't even know what this has been used for. It's got pages ripped out. Uh, something was stuck in it in the back. It doesn't matter. Just find something for you men who don't want to Carry around something leather embossed and with a potential flower on the back, all right? Use this. I mean, what about this thing? Another thing I just found that my kids had ripped up. I think it's graph paper. There's a bunny on the back. I'm not sure what's going on here, all right? But just use whatever you even find to record what God has done in your life. Write down a prayer request. And then below it, maybe using a different colored pen, write down if and when that request was answered. Right, write down a verse or two that sticks out when you're reading the Bible. You don't have to write a treatise on it or a sermon, just a verse or two. Maybe how it connects with your life, what stands out. And then write down the big things. You, know, you might even call it a spiritual stone, like here in Joshua. Or a spiritual marker, as I learned to write it down once when I was younger. A monumental act that clearly only God could achieve in your life. Write it down. Online journals are great too. Uh, Some of them, like the one my wife uses, uh, called 750 words, even shows a pie chart of what you write about most. It's kind of cool because you could like see themes that begin to emerge in your life. After a while, you see, oh, okay, God's doing something here in my relationships. Or he's doing something here in my suffering. Because I'm writing about that a lot. Speaking of themes, a third thing, which is a big step. If you really want to go deeper. If you really want to record God's grace and begin to see a larger theme or pattern of what he has done and is doing in your life. Let me suggest this little, this little book, booklet called Life Story. Uh, years ago, Life Story helped me... Um, Group my life story into chapters 
and, and systematically see the pattern of themes and God's grace at work in my life and help me even make some decisions and see some things going forward. All right, so I'm going to recommend this. Unfortunately, it was so good, it is so good that it's out of print. All right, it did so well that I assume they ran out of paper and couldn't make more copies. I don't know what happened, but... So I made available a few copies of the most relevant parts of this great resource in the back. But it's really cool. It gives you uh, some instructions and then gives you little sections to record things. I've even provided for you an example from my own life. I gave you ages 1 through 11 of the life of Pastor Oschlager before I was pastor. There's some great times, age 1 through 11, all right? You're gonna, I, I've borne my soul, my poor 10-year-old soul. So um, you can see examples that might help you uh, think through that. I expect comments later on that. All right. Um, <laughs> number four. Number four. For those with kids, a way to do this, a way to make albums, record grace, is to celebrate your child's achievements as a family. As parents, you are used to the ritual known as the award ceremony. Am I right? You're familiar with the award ceremony? It's basically to every child a trophy, uh, which means to every award ceremony at least 90 minutes of sitting there. Yay, yay. You know, poor, the poor 60th child, you know, there's three people left. It's just his own parents. Yay. It's very sad. Um, certificates, most improved, most helpful to teacher, all these things. Yet have you ever noticed our child the never- receives this kind of public recognition from the ones whose lives influence them most and from whom they most yearn for praise, right? Their parents. And not because you don't mean to. Maybe you just never even thought about this. I want to encourage you to consider something Katie and I were, were kind of turned on to about five years ago. Uh, every June now, at the end of the school year, we have a family award ceremony it's a small occasion. There's four of us, you know, but uh, it's very exciting. Sometimes there's other people, like <laughs> bystanders who just walk by. But we print out certificates, which you can find uh, free templates online. You can enter, type in different awards and data. Find a good place to have it, like a stage. We purposely try to find some sort of stage. We want to make it special for them. You know, sometimes we even play music and all this kind of thing. It sounds cheesy. This is life as a parent. For those of you without kids, I mean, you just do things that you honestly hope nobody else is witnessing. <laughs> so, we, so we now use, actually, uh, which you can copy this, we use the Dark Park uh, Amphitheater stage to do this. Among the 2012 awards, to give you some idea, include, I mean, just silly things and serious things, like uh, the Hammerhead Award for front flips into a pool. One of our children now can do front flips into a pool. He's really proud of it, shows some acrobatic skill, didn't hit his head. Congratulations. All right? Stuff like that. <laughs> or uh, the Courage Award, learning how to talk with an adult. One of our children, child, that's a big issue. All right, he learned how to do that this year, even to go up and initiate a conversation with an adult. Congratulations. You get a certificate. Uh, the Bible Story Listening and Answer Award. So during our family uh, worship at night, one of our children done a great job of listening, asking questions, and providing answers. Hey, we're going to reward him for that. We're not going to make a big deal about it, like he's a, make him into a Pharisee. But yeah, that's great. I'm serious. Our kids ask about it. 
every year, at least a month ahead of time, when are we going to do the awards? When are we going to do the awards? They love it. They begin to see these milestones of grace in their lives that God is doing something in them and through them. We point out that the things they do, God gives them the strength to do. It's his grace that enables them to do it. At this point, for those who are regulars, they're compelled to listen to me week after week. You may notice an unusual pattern. Maybe not. But usually I try to end with this sort of stuff, with like an application and send you home with suggestions and practical ways to put God's word into practice. But you're also probably noticing that's a little too short, Ryan. And you're right. The sermon has not come to a full and complete stop. Seatbelt still fastened. Why not? Because I know some of us, if not many to most of us, need motivation. All right? I mean, and the good kind of motivation, the good stuff, the divine motivation, because you might consider the idea uh, of diligently, systematically keeping tabs on God's grace in your life. Pollyanna, idealistic, I'm not really going to do it. Sounds good. You know what I'm going to do on the way home? I'm going to thank God, maybe out loud in my car. All right, that's what I'm going to do for you, Ryan. All right, I got to say, straight out of Joshua 4, we get three divine motivations, divine reasons why you should want to put together a record of God's grace. Keep it, compile it, look back on it. Let me give you these three reasons. Number one, you should want to do this for yourself. You should want to record God's grace for yourself. Look at verse 6. The stones may be a sign among you, right? Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel that this might be a sign among you. So for yourself. Think about the first night on the west side of the Jordan River. They're camped close to the river at Gilgal and They would have seen the silhouettes of the mountains rising to their west. These giant, formidable mountains. The equally formidable people who dwell in them. It's not far-fetched to suppose, even after a miracle that morning, later that night, people would have wondered afresh, well, yeah, but what about this time? This seems even bigger. Even more difficult even more formidable. You know that feeling, right? Yes, you remember God has done things, but then there's the next opponent, the next obstacle, the next heartache, the next point of pain, the next frustration. It seems bigger still because it's more fresh. And slowly we forget each little detail of what God has done in our past. We never recorded it, and we never look back on it. And so God gave each tribe a stone, this physical reminder that each person might be reminded of his past and also future grace to come. To look upon and consider that stone produce an inward change in their relationship with God and an outward obedience. Look at that. First of all, this inward change we'll see in verse 24 where it says, remember the stones that you might Fear the Lord, it says, forever. Only by considering, reconsidering the stone and rehearing the story of God's grace associated with it does grace travel from short-term memory 
to long-term reverential awe of God and appreciation of what he has done. Start to live your life like, wow, God, I remember you did that. I forgot about that. That was awesome. I remember, man, thank you for reminding me. You did this exact same thing three years ago and I almost forgot. You start having these moments of just awe that fill your lives more and more. So there's this inward change in relationship. But there's an outward obedience as well. Notice the, the parting of the river, river symbolized by the stone also seems to give this readiness to obey in God's people. Look at verses 12 and 13. So the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh pass over armed before the people. They are ready now to go into battle. 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle. They are ready. They've been given a motivation, a reason through the parting of these waters and they have a stone to remind them of it. Just reviewing a couple recorded acts of God's grace can produce this, yes, God, you know each detail. You are so awesome. You are so wise. And now you are ready to follow through with obedience even in difficulty. You know? So put together a record of God's grace for yourself, but also, number two, for your children. A reminder of that in verses 6 and 7, right? When your children ask, hey, what does this mean to you? You shall respond. Well, these stones represent God parting waters and giving us this land. It says it a couple times. Verses 6 and 7, he repeats it again in verses 21 through 22. For those with children, your kids must be hearing that God is making a difference in your life and to your life, no matter how old or young they are, that he answers prayer, that he gives you things, that you're excited about it. Think about the way your kids respond to getting gifts and presents. They're excited. And yet God does things in our lives, and we just, now we're too tired to mention it. And we forget by the end of the day. We've got to be disciplined about sharing this with our kids. And for those without children, God calls you to build up a spiritual lineage. Spiritual children. A legacy of persons whom God has nourished and built up through your life and your testimony to God's grace. For some of you, God will call you to leave Cayman one day. Do not settle for leaving without leaving a lasting legacy. Don't settle for leaving without leaving something that will last a legacy here on this island and in this church. It might be one person. It might be a few people you encourage. I mean, an indelible impression on it. God used you. Begin investing people by recording grace and telling them about it. So many young Christians especially need to hear about God's working. I need to hear about it. Community groups are a great place for this. So many times I go to community group as a pastor, right? I'm supposed to be well, spiritual, blah, blah, blah. I long to hear how God is working in people's lives. I'm like, God, I don't know. I just don't feel it today. And I go to community group, and I love hearing answers to prayer. This week I heard three answers to prayer in our community group. It's awesome. God answering prayer, grace. Coming up in a couple months, we'll have a Reflect 2012 service where we're You'll have an opportunity to share testimonies of thanksgiving for what God has done over the course of this past year. Another opportunity to build into people's lives. 
So for yourself, for your children, you should also put together a record of God's grace for the world around you. Here's my last point. Verse 23 through 24. The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over the sea, passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. When you record God's grace, you start to share it. People will listen. I think you'll find actually that, that people around you, some you might know well, some you've been hoping might trust Jesus for some time now. Maybe some you just met. will be more and more willing to listen to your testimony of God's work in your life now than God's work in your life 10, 15, 20 years ago. Which, by the way, is incredibly important. And I'm not saying don't share that. But sometimes when we share, like, well, here's what God did in my life. I was, I was 10 years old, and that's powerful. But so many times people want to hear, well, what's God doing in your life now? And what difference is he making in your life now? We need to provide them with an answer. And you can't provide that when you aren't keeping track of what he is doing. Now, when the world around Joshua and Generation Next hear these testimonies of what God is doing, these testimonies of him working in his people's lives, listen to their response <laughs> and how it changes them. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel till they crossed over. Their hearts melted. So, and there was no longer any spirit in them. So the world around them hears about God and absolutely is crushed. That sounds decidedly bad, right? <laughs> How are we going to, I mean, do you want to share your testimony and people are just overcome with the fear of God to the point where they're crushed? Probably not. So let me explain. This word spirit, the idea there was no spirit in them is an interesting one. In the Old Testament, it appears as a Hebrew word, ruach. In the New Testament, pneuma. It appears in that word. And simply put, one spirit is that capacity within each person to relate to God. You might think of it like an electrical outlet. Everyone's got an electrical outlet. You just need the plug. That would be God, God's spirit in this analogy. So when it says that their hearts melted and their spirits can no longer be found, it's a bit of hyperbole to express that all hope related to the divine in their own life had vanished as these eyewitness reports began to trickle in. Everything they consider as divine as godness began to vanish. And they were on the outside looking in on a religion that they now believe might be true. But they weren't a part of it. You can imagine the average Canaanite married couple hanging out in bed. You can imagine them saying, man, there's just nothing we can do. We sided with the wrong gods that are either inferior, I guess, or not real. What do you think? You know, we are alienated, we're excluded, we're not part of that family. There's no way we're going to be able to stand this onslaught that's going to come. And so they lost their spirit, their sense of, wow, I no hope. But the spirit that recognizes the truth, the God of Israel is real, and yet also recognizes it's alienated and possibly excluded, is given the offer of inclusion 
and the connection they need through Jesus Christ. This is pretty cool. Watch this. All right. The first time we see Jesus speak to a crowd, he is beginning to set them up for this very offer of inclusion, of connection with the divine. In fact, it's the first time we hear this idea of spirit, lowercase spirit in the New Testament. It's in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we're going through verse 3. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You ever wonder what that meant? You ever heard that growing up? Or maybe you went to Catholic school like I did, and you heard that. You had to memorize the Beatitudes, and you heard, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is that? That just seems like kind of wise and saying something. But here we get that connection. From Joshua 4 all the way to Matthew chapter 5. Because poverty in spirit through Jesus becomes a good thing. It's the very thing that will connect us to God. See, these are people who have started to hear testimonies of great things done by and through Jesus. And as they encounter God's greatness, his holiness, his awesomeness, some recognize that they are inadequate. That they have little ability on their own to relate to God. And they recognize their need for help to get to him. They recognize why God's spirit is great and perfect and awesome and overpowering. Their spirit is small. How are they going to get to from there to there? When a person hears you share the grace of God from your own life that you've recorded, they are confronted with something so other than what they're used to. They just might realize their own incapacity to relate to God on their own. In other words, they recognize that they are, in fact, poor in spirit. They hear how rich your life is with what God is doing, not because you've done it, because of what God is doing. You're pointing to that because you've recorded that. And they realize, I'm poor. And I want that, but I, I recognize I don't have it. You know, wow, man, I, I, I can see that fulfilling me somehow, but I confess I am clue, I feel totally unworthy and adequate of God. That's when you know that person's ready for you to offer Jesus Christ to them, who alone can make a poor spirit rich by connecting a person's divine outlet to the God of the universe. God can use you to make an inadequate person adequate, to make a poor person rich through Jesus Christ and the testimony of what he's done in your life. So in a nutshell this morning, I leave you with this. Record grace before you forget it and others miss it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story in Joshua 4. It's really awesome to behold the miracle. And we know, God, in our own lives, and hopefully we've seen, that you show grace, that you don't just keep your love bottled up in heaven, Lord, but you intervene into human life and show your love actively through this undeserved gift we call grace. Ah, it's so awesome, Lord. We just thank you. We give praise for that. But Father, help us in response to that. Develop habits of just jotting those acts of grace down in our lives. When they're mentioned from your word, what you have done through Jesus Christ and the Bible and 
how that connects to our lives. Help us take notes and be ready to take them. Father, help us be willing to find some place we record the spiritual stones in our lives. Father, help us also even consider just seeing the big patterns and big themes of what you're doing as your hand stretches from, from birth to now. You've never leave or forsake us. You have worked your plan and threaded it through up to this point in our lives. Help us take steps to form a habit of recording your grace so that we won't forget it and those around us might not miss it. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.